0: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. Thank you for joining me for this week's edition of the SMIE Consulting Midweek Roundup. My name is Marty Bennett, and over the next half hour, we're going to be going through some of the top stories of the week and how those uh, different stories have coalesced into a series of questions that we ask each week on the Midweek Roundup. Uh, For those that are new to the Roundup, we take our news stories from our SMIE Consulting all the SMIE news fit to share, and that comes out on Mondays at 9 a.m. Eastern, and you can subscribe to that a couple different ways, and I'll be dropping the links to those in our chat, Uh, so do uh, stay with me as we uh, cover those three questions. Uh, The questions are also on the screen if you're watching live. Uh, You can also watch on repeat on our YouTube channel as well. Uh, so I'll pop up the th- those three questions into the chat for you today. They are, first, how important are international career services on campus? Second, which company is taking talking out of both sides of its mouth on Russia? And finally, what does globalization mean at your college? And does it include DEI ob- ob- objectives? So we'll get through uh, those three questions and more on this week's SMIE Consulting Midweek Roundup. For those that are listening on the podcast, we really appreciate uh, your sticking with us and subscribing. Uh, we've, uh, we're coming closing in on 200 episodes, which will happen sometime later this summer. We're on episode 192 now. Uh, we've had some, uh, some great episodes over the years and uh, wouldn't be the same without uh, your uh, subscribing on the podcast feed or watching us live on Facebook and now LinkedIn, Twitter, or YouTube as well. So it's uh, my great pleasure to be with you again today. Uh, we're going to be taking a look at all three of these questions here in just a moment, so we appreciate you being with us today. Uh, what we're going to start with is this question. We've had covered uh, parts of this before as we've had lo- news stories pop into our feeds uh, on the various uh, topics of the day uh, that our newsletter covers, but we'll uh, be uh, talking about this perspective from, uh, the, from the point of a couple different avenues. First. Uh, we look at it from the international student perspective and some, uh, some stories that uh, Karen Fisher in her Latitudes uh, newsletter last week covered uh, with uh, a junior business finance major, uh, uh, Anson Tan, getting an internship uh, request or offer from a major airline. Uh, he, was, uh, uh, he was ecstatic. He might be able to make, uh, make it uh, to for this uh, really important position but his new employer sent over the offer letter. There wasn't any mention in the paperwork about his student visa status, and he's from Singapore, so they're not allowed to work or do internships in the United States only under narrow conditions. Obviously, if this is a CPT while he's still enrolled, or or, uh, that would be work related to their major, uh, that uh, he uh, would be able to do it, and the international office would issue an I-20 specifically for CPT but uh, he decided that his job offer was rescinded so uh, he said that he disclosed uh, his visa status to recruiters during the interview process but uh, when he raised that issue uh, he was then uh, had his offer rescinded so partly due to a lack of uh, understanding on the company's behalf uh, which is surprising for a major international airline uh, but also surprising that uh, not knowing the specifics, if uh, he did have his I-20 uh, le- uh, signed by his uh, DSO, uh, that allowed him and had authorization for him to work an internship at that company. Uh, that certainly speaks to a lot of, um, would, would le- legally solve the uh, majority of the issues there. So I'm curious what the, there's more to that story obviously, so uh, Karen doesn't report on those specific details. But uh, really the workplace piece of the college experience uh, in terms of it's limited for international students to on-campus work while they're enrolled uh, or uh, post-completion optional practical training time that year to three years depending on their major that they have available to them. Or uh, if they 're lucky, uh, a Cpt opportunity if their major requires it or, or if it 's available depending on the, your institution, uh, if an internship 's available, oftentimes students can uh, take it, can take advantage of those so it 's really important to um, to i think in, as you talk about the issues involved in for international students when it comes to work in the United States, there are significant differences, and obviously, the international student offices know and uh, most institutions, if you've got significant numbers, you've had conversations I hope with your career services office when they handle employment offices or student employment offices uh, in terms of what's possible. The on-campus work is pretty much a no-brainer as long as there's, uh, it's not a federal work study job. They're usually not restrictions on whether an international student can uh, take a job or not on campus, but for these, uh, um, before, the, before graduation work opportunities, during break periods, or even during the semester if it's uh, part of the curriculum. Uh, the curricular opportunities uh, can really add value for that student uh, in terms of their opportunities to build their resume up and get some practical experience before they graduate and decide whether they really want to work in that particular industry or that particular company. So uh, what is tricky, though, is you have uh, some missteps uh, along the way here with uh, whether that was on the institutional end or on the employer end, uh, some of which the employer, on the employer end, they can be out of the control of the individual student and even the individual institution that uh, is responsible for connecting that student with the, uh, with the opportunity. But I will say, uh, this is something that I think a lot of institutions really don't do well. And that is provide the customized level of service that international students truly need to succeed, not just be an afterthought for a lot of career services offices. And I talk about a couple different things here. When international students are applying for jobs, um, most campuses have job fairs, internship fairs on campus, how difficult would it be to require, uh, when, uh, ins- uh, when employers are signing up for spaces, uh, to tick off, will you, um, will you accept international students with uh, verified uh, curricular practical training authorization to work uh, at an internship, for example, if it's an internship fair? Or if it's a post-completion OPT opportunity uh, for, uh, for gradu- graduating students? Will that be part of the equation too will will you um, will you accept an international student who has a legal right to work for between one and three years depending on the major uh, and or would you be willing to sponsor students? Do you sponsor uh, st- uh, f one students for h one b employee uh, employee visas uh, down the road? So providing that information minimally is what institutions should be doing for international students when they're coming for fairs uh, internship fairs, job fairs. Why is that important? Because it shows that you actually acknowledge that they have different needs and different requirements than the rest of uh, rest of the, of the student body. There are obviously other groups that will have uh, different requirements as well but certainly with, with international students that has to be a known quantity, uh, known facts in the career services offices and there have to, has to be coordination uh, to make sure that Students, international offices, career services offices are all on the same page when it comes to what those opportunities are and what is possible and what is not possible. So those are some basic things. But it's also about when career, when you think about what career services is, it's helping find jobs for students after they graduate, right, uh, and getting them prepared for that, learning how to write a resume, learning how to prepare for an interview, uh, working on your communication skills uh, that, that might need. Uh, freshening up, uh, how to present yourself for an interview, all of those kinds of things are key. Uh, what is also important for international students is, hey, they might not be looking to stay in the United States. Uh, you might have a uh, majority of your international students wanting to go back home and find jobs in their field, in their countries. Are, is your institution equipped for that? I would say, unless your institution has a well-developed uh, international network, that's an afterthought for uh, for your career services offices, uh, where uh, unless there's a well-developed alumni structure that they get plugged into before they graduate and that they can connect to an international network of uh, alumni from your institution to potentially find jobs in your field, unless that already exists, there might not be anything internationally that your career services office can direct them to and help them find work in their home country. And when outcomes are so important to the uh, why why students choose the institutions that they choose, and when your institution is not providing that level of support it's a it's a, it's a missed opportunity and it's a, a chance for you to lose students on the front end and potentially have uh, a, leave a sour taste in students' mouths when, on the back end if they don't get any support if they're looking for work opportunities back home. Are there things out there that you can leverage uh, to to improve uh, their chances of uh, getting the support that they need uh, to find either domestic jobs in the US or back home overseas? That might be a next level thing, but it's certainly something to start thinking about and planning for uh, because it might be time and there might be some expense involved, so you need to really pay attention to these items as you're developing uh, plans uh, for your international students and customizing that journey for them because uh, that is not an easy task uh, and it requires some specific attention. What I will say on the on this uh, related front to this there's Karen Fisher's story uh, that had some uh, interesting student takes on this. but you also have the employer story story and right now employers in the United States are gung-ho on hiring international audience uh, international uh, students or, international um, potential employees, uh, f- over the last two, three years, you've seen uh, a definite increase. So in 2021, for example, any 2% of employers said their sponsorship levels met expectations or were higher than projected compared to their expectations at the beginning of the year related to um, sponsoring students uh, or sponsoring H-1B visas, for example. Uh, however, Uh, They face challenges attracting and retaining foreign talent due to the visa caps and declining levels of enrollment in U.S. colleges and universities. So uh, the the same group was surveyed uh, what their plans are for next year. Eighty-two percent, again, of employers expect their foreign national headcount to increase or stay the same. So uh, employers are certainly not giving up on internationals for potential jobs in their companies. So uh, I think there's a lot, of, um, a lot of pull factors that are, are, are going to keep students here that want to uh, if we can connect the dots appropriately with the right companies uh, that are eager to em- employ internationals, that are Uh, campuses that are aware of these opportunities and screen, pre-screen those employers so that they can have that information available uh, to share with students so that they don't waste their time at a job fair with a thousand employers speaking to 900 that don't have uh, or don't provide jobs uh, to international students even though they're eligible to work for one to three years without anything on the company's behalf that they have to do. There are Fortune 500 companies that will not hire international students, and that's a real sad fact. I'm in a town that has uh, a Fortune 500 company, the f- company headquarters here, and this is, these are conversations I've had with their HR department for for several years, is how can you not hire international students uh, for, for internships, or even jobs after, uh, jobs after graduation, some of which you could have for three years, and really get a sense of whether they're a, an employee that you wanna keep, and if they are, the costs are in the big script, big scope of things, three to five thousand dollars, you can get that, that's, that's a, a, a cost of doing business, for frankly, if you have a talent, uh, an an international student talent that wants to work for you. Why wouldn't you want to keep them? Uh, But some companies, like this one in town, they won't even go that far to take that risk because they they say we're not going to invest in uh, our time and effort in students that may, uh, or potential employees that may uh, not be able to stay in the country. So really sad in the realities in terms of what's happening in the marketplace. Part of what needs to happen more is uh, career services offices need to be more proactive in terms of discussing uh, what uh, international students' uh, legal rights are uh, in terms of work opportunity uh, during their studies uh, and then after they're done and more that's articulated to potential employers that are coming. Uh, Obviously, career services offices focus a lot of their time and attention on what the students uh, get and get prepared for, but maybe they should be doing uh, those kind of workshops that are international specific for those employees, employers that are wanting to participate in your internship and job fairs on campus. So there are a couple different levels where this is uh, I think of real value uh, to Uh, to international offices on campus that are trying to promote their institutions as favorable destinations for international students and the more that you are connecting all the dots throughout your international student journey particularly focusing on that career services piece into alumni status you the more uh, you are going to be presenting a real full-service international student journey that uh, is really geared to them at every stage of their enrollment process. As a student, so that's uh, topic number one. Let's move right on into topic two, and this is this is the bad actors uh, uh, story that I haven't been wanting to cover. I know there are many of my colleagues uh, in international ed that have uh, been have been carrying the flag for uh, this fight uh, for um, for Ukrainian institutions, for Ukraine as a country, for Ukrainian students, uh, and that has to do with how. Uh, some in in the international community have and are dealing with uh, what's happening in Russia and that may be because of uh, investments uh, in Russia, maybe because of relationships with particular institutions, maybe a number of different things. But we're talking, the question is which company is talking out of both sides of its mouth on Russia? An article appeared in uh, this week's, past week's Inside Higher Ed, uh, where QS uh, uh, the, one of the uh, major world ranking uh, in companies out there, uh, had said uh, that after, right after the invasion, they pledged not to rank Russia's universities. And one of the reasons for those who have been following what's happened in Russia, you know that there's been uh, basically an information shutdown. Uh, it's one, one way or the highway for anyone who, in Russia that wants to speak their mind. Uh, and certainly universities have been made to toe the line. And all the rectors at institutions in Russia were forced to sign on to a a document that said that they support uh, Vladimir Putin's uh, special military operation in in Ukraine. And that, uh, there are a number of uh, Russian institutions, uh, at least uh, one, two, three, four... Uh, five uh, in the top 800 or so, uh, five Russian institutions, so not a huge number, but uh, that five, and maybe that's more of a sign of the quality of Russian higher education, but uh, that's only five of uh, five Russian institutions are in the top 800 of, uh, of the uh, QS report rankings. But you see, and all five of those their institutions were um, made to sign on to the, this uh, pledge that uh, they support the, uh, the Putin's invasion, uh, war in Ukraine, we'll say it here. Uh, we, um, what they had said at the outset is QS, at QS we are united in outrage at the war in Russia At the war Russia is waging against the Ukrainian people, we believe in the power of international education to promote understanding and collaboration, yet we have seen images of university campuses indiscriminately attacked and our partners, colleagues, and friends displaced in this humanitarian catastrophe. That statement was removed from the QS website and is available only, as above, through the Wayback Machine, (laughs) an archive of old internet pages. That's, uh, That's a line from the uh, Inside Higher Ed story. Uh, on April 4th, uh, QS posted a new version of that statement, which still had much of the same language, but no longer included the statement on redacting Russian universities. So uh, there's obviously surprise uh, in the international ed community and that they are still ranking these. Uh, that um, Times Higher Ed, for example, another major uh, world ranking group said in March uh, that they would not uh, be ranking uh, Russian uni- universities and they have abided by that. So uh, that they have get, taken steps to ensure, the Times Higher Ed folks uh, have taken steps to ensure the Russia, that Russians, Russian universities are given less prominence in the rankings and their university profiles are not available. So that's Times Higher Ed story. So uh, that uh, is how they have um, felt uh, there's a way to respond, uh, Times Higher Ed, I should say, not QS. QS have basically said one thing, gone back on it, and are now doing exactly the opposite by continuing to rank uh, the Russian institutions. Uh, despite their rectors fully supporting uh, the war in Ukraine, and despite crackdowns on free speech on their campuses being the rule of the day, uh, that uh, professors can if that speak against the uh, or create fake news uh, saying that uh, Russia actually invaded Ukraine. Uh, it can get uh, five years in prison as a result, or longer, depending on the severity of the, of the supposed crime. So uh, this is something that uh, that it really bugs me. Uh, it bugs me as an international educator who uh, tries to have as much as possible, I'll live uh, live, walk the walk, talk to, uh, walk the talk. Uh, that he uh, talks about uh, related to international education and having standards, having a sense of uh, outrage, moral outrage when things like this, what's happened in the Ukraine happened. Uh, and even had a colleague at, uh, uh, at NAFSA uh, who has family members from both sides. Uh, uh, she's uh, uh, she was uh, born in Russia but lived in uh, her husband's from Ukraine. Uh, she mentioned that uh, There are two sides to this story, Uh, and yeah, it's the two. But she said she uh, she actually believed, uh, and this is a well-educated person at a at an institution in the U.S. that she believed that there are that Russia hadn't committed atrocities necessarily, and that uh, it was a special military operation, and that her family in Russia believed that as well. Well, we know that that's the case because they only get that line; they don't get the other side of the story. Uh, so it's uh, it's not it's a war that is uh, Ukraine did not bring on itself uh, it's a war that Russia has uh, committed and failed in a lot of different ways uh, they've had some successes recently in the East but uh, their uh, their their poor planning poor logistics and other other uh, other failings have uh, laid bare a, a lot of uh, the Cold War uh, hype—that there was was nothing, nothing really there. It was maybe 30 years ago, but isn't anymore. Uh, And that's uh, um, that's something that uh, why institutions uh, in the United States haven't gone more fully, um, uh, fully against, uh, come out against uh, Russian institutions or cutting ties with Russian institutions, as MIT did shortly after the war began. Uh, you saw the US government this past week uh, talk about c- cutting ties on, on research uh, in the scientific community, uh, recommending that others do it, but leaving, not mandating, but leaving it to individual institutions to, to, uh, to assess the situation and decide what they need to do. Uh, so this is really something that uh, it, it really gets me when, it, when companies do this. And I'm certainly uh, not a fan of QS at this point uh, based on uh, their handling of the situation, uh, not standing up for what's right. And by not doing that, um, I, it would be very hard for me to justify any relationship with them if I were an institution. So uh, based on that, on that standard, that's uh, their own, own words. So let's move on to the third question, which is, what does globalization mean at your college? Now, this is something that I, I think um, we've seen a lot of. There's an article then that what prompted this question, an article this past week uh, from on the, in the Pi News that said, some se- international ed leaders say globalization is a strategic priority. 78% of leaders in international ed... Um, Believe globalization is a strategic priority, according to a new report by Teradata. So, Teradata, as you know, is one of the uh, been on the study broadside for many years, and uh, has their own uh, CRM, basically, that uh, institutions can use to manage both uh, current students, uh, internet going abroad, and international students coming in. So uh, that uh, this is interesting. The survey results were interesting in that. Uh, that talked about student interest as well in international programming. 72% were indicating a strong desire to study abroad. Uh, Participants cited language learning and career prep uh, at 30% and 24% as the two primary reasons for wanting to study abroad. And that uh, in many, uh, uh, for the Pterodata folks, uh, having endured two years of basically no study abroad or very minimal, mostly virtual exchanges, uh, you now see uh, in his words, uh, this is the CEO of um, Teradata, Anthony Ritali, uh is saying that uh, demand is now exceeding pre-pandemic levels for study abroad. So in terms of what that means, well, when he says globalization, uh, global, global engagement is um, accelerating its evolution, in his words. Uh, and that uh, the future really, in his words, also um, uh, from the survey, I should say forty five percent believe global engagement to be tied to the reputation of the organization or institution, so uh, that is uh, leveraging that in what you do uh, internationally and how much you do uh, is is important uh, and they they asked uh, international leaders were asked about what the biggest challenges they face currently in the field are so i sh- we should point out that this 78 percent is a survey of international educators so uh, not necessarily university leaders so there may be some disconnects as there often are between international offices and university leadership senior leadership uh, if they're not if they don't have a prominent seat at the table uh, but I, uh, that at least is encouraging uh, that you would hope that 78 percent would say that their institutions have Uh, globalization as a priority because they're obviously funding their offices and they're investing in both international enrollments as well as uh, expanding study abroad and curriculum uh, internationalization and faculty and student exchanges, all of that. So what uh, I think what you see uh, is that there are moves at institutions toward no longer siloing uh, international Admissions and international and study abroad uh, or international ed departments that they are uh, becoming more uh, into more combined units. Uh, I know at one of the institutions I'm working with, uh, working for actually, we have created a new unit uh, to uh, be the umbrella for all international initiatives, even uh, potentially. uh, So it's uh, hopefully going to be including. Uh, English language, uh, study abroad, international missions at the undergraduate and graduate level, uh, but, and uh, partnerships, uh, as well as hopefully, um, career services in the in the uh, will be in there in that sphere as well. So a lot to a uh, well, lot a lot of positives I think out of that this article in terms of what the survey results are. Uh, what I would say is that. Uh, we do see, and one of the reasons I focused on this topic today, is um, that what is, and how, what, in, what is included when we talk about globalization, and one of the, one of the points here is that we see uh, in uh, one of the major uh, driving forces at, on university campuses these days is about DEI. Uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and um, there are now vice presidents, senior vice presidents, uh, or pro- vice provosts of uh, diversity, or vice presidents of uh, diversity initi- DEI initiatives uh, on many college campuses, and that is something that I think we're we're looking at um, what the future might hold there. Uh, what we do see is uh, that. And one of the reasons I focused on this issue is what is included in globalization, is our uh, is asking the question how is DEI or and international connected on your campus. Uh, so that part of the part of the survey um, that was entitled the state of globalization in higher ed also connected globalization efforts to DEI inclusion initiatives. So uh, the report, I'll, I'll be putting the link to as well in in the in, in the ebook that uh, that Teradata is providing. Uh, we, uh, there's some real, really some solid uh, data in there. But what is I think is important to keep in mind with this is, and why DEI is important uh, as and why international should be a component of DEI, and because it works both ways. It's not not only on the study abroad side having more. Uh, students of color uh, have opportunities to study abroad, have the funding to, to make it happen, and have the uh, have the paths made clear for them to, to study abroad. And there are a lot of different levels to that question and for DEI. But we also see on the inbound side, we see uh, that a lot of times the international students uh, and a good, co- good colleague and friend of mine, uh, Rajika Bandari, uh, has just authored her own book, um, America Calling. Uh, uh, and that, in her book. She talks specifically about this. We just had a, uh, we're on a board of directors together, and we just had a book signing event for her where she was taking questions uh, from the audience, and someone had asked about uh, DEI and uh, international education. And she made, made, it, made the clear connection between her experiences as an international student uh, if that if in a, as a group in the United States or uh, certainly a minority group, certainly are. um don't have a uh, full range of benefits uh, available that uh, domestic students have, that they oftentimes are, <coughs> excuse me, can be ghettoized on their campus, depending on uh, the countries that they're coming from and the nature of their campus communities, that they often can be targets. Uh, we've seen that post 9-11 with uh, Muslim males in, uh, uh, in the United States, even Sikhs, uh, that uh, were targeted for abuse as potential terrorists. Uh, we see we've seen in the last and during COVID we saw uh, Asian Americans and international students from China, especially and from all over East Asia uh, be targeted as well. Uh, so they're often uh, oftentimes at risk. Uh, so uh, it's doing what we can to support them and include them under the umbrella of uh, giving our international students uh, the same equity and access uh, to Uh, to university uh, resources uh, is, is I think, a a really important connection that international uh, offices can and should be making on their campuses and and making sure that they're included in those initiatives. So uh, that is what we have for you today on the Roundup. We really appreciate you being with us uh, for this 192nd edition of the Midweek Roundup. Uh, we will be uh, uh, going into some more depth on some a lot of these issues in the months to come, but we're appreciative of you taking the time uh, out of your Wednesday to watch us live, but also those that uh, are watching on repeat on our various social media channels. So thanks so much, and do have a good rest of your day. Cheers.